Hi, I'm Eamon Fennell. Welcome to the Hot Bar with AIG. On this episode, we're going to be talking to Dublin hero. He's a hero of mine, Colly Moran, about his career, uh, the challenges that he faced, the unfortunate circumstances of which it ended in, but also about what life is like after football for Colly uh, and what he's up to now in regards his sport and career, coaching, and all that kind of stuff as well. So, hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Kali, how are you getting on? It's, uh, it's tough times at the moment. Are you missing sport? Are you getting by without it? Yeah, I'm missing sport. Um, it's tough times. Obviously, everybody is is sticking to the rules. Um, but obviously, this time of the year, usually you'd be looking forward to the championship and, and following the form and all that. But obviously, based on the, the latest news, it doesn't look like we're going to have a championship over the course of the summer anyway. Hopefully, there'll be a bit of action in the autumn maybe, but for it looks like for the first time, you know, we can ever remember there's not going to be a championship this summer. Yeah, what does championship look like for you now? So is it like, are you still doing punditry work? Are you just, because you're doing a bit of, uh, you know, uh, kind of stuff with the newspapers and reporting the games, are you going to games or are you just sitting at home watching them with the family or what way are you going to games now? No, I, I still... I still love it. Yeah, I'm still doing a few bits and pieces in media um, covering the games in that regard. But really, you know, I look forward to the days. It's a great chance. I suppose when you, you're you older and you have kids, you don't get to see your, your friends and your own family as much. So they're, they're great days to follow the dubs in the summer and to meet up. Um, I meet up with a lot of the Ballyboden lads um, that I would have played with when I was younger. Um, and it, they're great opportunities for meeting up with everyone in your family as well. So I think that's that's what a lot of people miss this summer, and I certainly will as well. So the kids will miss it as well. The kids, yeah, they're they're a bit young. Um, they they haven't really started going to matches yet. But over the next few years, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully this quarantine doesn't go on for a couple of years, and they'll get to go to they'll get to go to some games. Yeah. Are you pushing any sport on them? Is it just GA or are they doing a bit of every team gymnastics or No, they're they're young. Um my uh my eldest daughter is, is five, my son is two and, and we have another child on the way in a couple of months. Okay, uh, thank God. Thank you. And um so no to be honest, yeah, uh I'll introduce them to GAA, um, but I think I'll introduce them to a lot of sports as well. Um and it's and other things, other non-sporting things as well, music and, and whatever else. But, um, I, you know, I, I think when I look back when I was a kid, you know, you just do what you love and you, you tend to be good at what you love and you'll keep going back. So I suppose I'll introduce them to everything. And if they stick with the GA, great. But, um, you know, I think there's plenty of other activities for kids there now these days as well. But when you were growing up, what sports were you playing? Because, you know, I think... Looking back in, uh, on in the 80s and 90s, there wasn't probably as many activities that are available to kids now. Uh, and it was a lot easier to do stuff, obviously. It wasn't as costly. So when you were coming up, what sports were you playing as a kid? Yeah, like obviously, Bally Bowden was my club. I grew up in Knock Line. And so played hurling and football with the schools and, and Bally Bowden St. Annes as well. But also played soccer with Knock Line United. Um, and we actually had a decent uh, rugby team there in line for a while as well, and I played on that as well. So I loved, I loved all those sports really. But I suppose Gaelic football was always my my number one love. But um, yeah, and that's why I stuck with that in the end, obviously. And 
one of the things that I couldn't get over when I was looking at your record of teams you played for, uh, teams you've actually captained as well, just when you were 21, you were captain of Dublin G, the Dublin 21s, you were playing for the Dublin Seniors, you were playing for uh, UCD, and you were obviously playing for Bowden as well. And on yeah. top of that, there was an international real series in the mix as well. Like, was that just the most challenging time of your life, or just because you were playing so many games, was it just so fun to be actually just playing games rather than just constantly training? Um, I, I suppose it was, it was a very exciting time, you know, um, just breaking into the Dublin team at the start was just a huge thrill, you know, to be playing with guys that I watched when I was a teenager that were involved in the 95 All-Ireland winning team. It was brilliant just to be involved. It was very exciting. Um, and yeah, as you say, I was on a lot of underage teams at that age as well. So it was, it was quite hectic and, you know, there was... There was oftentimes maybe there was disputes between the different managers about getting you released for this, that or the other. And that was stressful at the time. Um, but still, look, it was great to be involved in exciting games all the time. Uh, tough on the body and tough, I suppose, when you're a student and that. But um, still looking back on it, great times. But who was on that 21 team that would have stood out for the senior team in later years? Yeah, so I suppose my last year, under 21, Barry Cahill and Andrew uh, and Alan Brogan were on that side. Um, Klucko was there as well. So they were just a couple of years behind me. Um, so we had, we had a talented team at that time. Uh, Wayne McCarthy, who would have played with the Dublin Seniors as well from Aaron's Isle. Um, it was a good team. Uh, got to a Leinster final um, and were beaten by Meath, uh, unfortunately. So... Um, that was the end of that. Obviously, no back doors back in those days. And, and like back in the twenty-one days, like you identified, like Alan and Clucko and Barry were these people that you just could see at such an early age that were just going to be legends of the game. Um. Yeah, like I, I always remember Clucko coming into the Dublin dressing room in particular. You know, uh, he was he was he was very young. Didn't didn't speak a lot and. You know, that's probably still the same today. <laughs> but he was he was only about 18 or 19 years of age. Uh, he got his debut against Offaly in 2001 when David Byrne was the goalkeeper, got injured and had an amazing match, you know, pulled off amazing saves. Um, and Alan, yeah, was introduced then, I think the year after that. Tommy Carr was the senior manager at that time. And it was really the year after that um, Tommy Lyons brought Alan into the, the senior squad. I think himself and and uh, Barry had the option of coming into Tommy Carr's squad that summer in 2001. Uh, but they had more sense and went off to America for a J1. <laughs> <laughs> and had a great time. Um, so uh, they both of them came back next year. Tommy Carr was gone. Tommy Lyons was the new manager and was obviously going to blood a few new guys. And at that stage, uh, you know, Paul Casey, Alan Brogan, Barry Cowell, Clucko were all in the starting team and obviously went on from strength to strength. Just with you and, and your serious stature of being a captain, do you regret, now I know hindsight's an amazing thing, but not actually taking that J1 break and going to the States to, to experience it and, and see what it's like over there? I was a bit envious at the time of all my pals from college going to the States and that, but 
at the end of the day, um, it was an easy decision to always stay at home and play football for Dublin. Uh, that's what I always wanted to do as a young fella, and the opportunity was there to um, hopefully win an All-Ireland. And I suppose you always would have had the fear if you'd gone gone abroad or to Australia or whatever for a year and, and you'd missed out. Um, but it's hard to say no as well, though, isn't it? Like, it's, it's hard to say, like, when you're captain and the senior team are looking for you, then you're... Uh, looking to go on the international rules series for the under twenty ones as well. Like, it's hard to say no to all that as a kid as well. That is, yeah, and, and you're very young at that age, and you know I think things back then were a lot less structured than they are now. You know, you, you'd you'd like to think there's better organisation between coaches and, and players are better looked after, but back then it was it was really a free for all. If anyone could, like a, a one specific example, I remember. Training over in St. Pat's in Drumcondra um, with the international rules squad uh, on a Saturday morning, full full training match, uh, getting in the car, coming across the M50, and literally walking straight from the car park in Ballyboden out onto the main pitch in Ballyboden to play an under, under 21 championship match against UCD, you know. Whereas I don't think you'd be allowed to do that now, you know. You'd hope that players are, are better looked after. Um, but, uh, Different times, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, different times in many ways because one of the demand of the games, and I don't think managers really took into consideration the actual impact on the body, but I don't also think they had the science data that we have now to show the load that we're putting through our body in regards to miles in the legs, the impact on the body, the rehab and recovery plans that are available now. Like, Are these all things that if you had access to all of these back then, do you think it would have made much of a difference, if any difference? Ah, uh, Yeah, I think, you know, when you think back, when I started, started playing with Dublin in the late 90s, the rage was long-distance running and running up hills and on, on beaches and all that kind of stuff because Mick O'Dwyer was doing it with Kildare and... Um, Jerry Lachnan was doing it with the Clare Hurlers and they were having success and all that kind of stuff and then as it went into the noughties then you know Armagh really pushed it out in terms of weights and that kind of stuff and we, we started doing them then but like when you think back we were starting to do weights without having a proper core stability and all that kind of stuff and probably poor technique and all that kind of stuff whereas you obviously look at the condition of the guys nowadays you know uh, the, the, you look at the Dublin seniors and they've been doing it from a young age getting their core stability right their technique right um, and you'd hope that that will stand to them in, in terms of that it'll it'll uh, give them uh, a longer playing career and then also they'll be healthier in their after their football days as well yeah because like it, it's one thing to have that information but it's another thing to use it um, like from from your point of view when you have all these managers looking for you, it is hard to say no. Even if you have access to the load that you're putting through, the frequency of the trainings, the impact you can have on your injuries and all that kind of stuff. Like, still as a kid, you still want to be playing these games and you want to be involved. So unless a manager steps in and actually calls you and just says, no, it's, it's not the right team for you, you're always going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Like, coming into a Dublin team, having that experience of captain in the 21s, playing international rules, playing on a really successful Sigurdsson team, do you 
when you were coming into the dressing room, you were coming into the setup, what was it like for you walking in on your first day and who were you looking at and who were the people around you? Um, yeah, I, I remember, so I, I was playing with the Dublin Miners in 1998 and uh, we got to a Leinster final, we were beaten and that summer Tommy Carr uh, had the seniors they were knocked out in the first round. So he started training for the new season the, the following year in that summer, if you know what I mean, and started rebuilding his squad. Um, so uh, we, um, they used to train out in Phoenix Park at that stage. And back then, they used to play three league games before Christmas. So you were back kind of in the autumn usually. But Tommy wanted to get a good start and bring in young lads. So Shane Ryan was there. I came in at that stage as well. Um, and... Uh, I remember figuring out I was trying to get to the Phoenix Park for training. I was only 18 years of age, so I didn't uh, didn't drive. <laughs> I got on a number 10 bus that said Phoenix Park on it. <laughs> Hoping for the best. So, so I thought I'd be in plenty of time, but little did I know that the Phoenix Park was a big place and the, the bus stop <laughs> was a couple of miles from where the Dubs used to train. So my first, session I, my first session I had, to apologize to Tommy Carr for being late, you know, so um, he, he let it go. But I, I knew the next night. But uh, sorry, going back to the question, yeah, going in that 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 time into that dressing room, I, I was in absolute awe. I was 18 years of age and um, looking around, uh, I, I'd never played at that stage. I hadn't played club football for Ballyboden, senior club football, so the guys in the dressing room were only guys I'd seen on TV playing for the dubs, you know. Um, I'd never played against them in senior club football or anything like that. So looking around and the, the roll call and Jim Gavin, Paul Kern, Desi Farrell, J.O., Brian Steins, uh, and then the kind of younger lads that were big stars at that stage were Wheelow, uh, Ian Robertson, Paddy Christie and others. A lot of talent in that dressing room at that time. So kind of some of the guys from 95, like Keith Barr and Charlie Redmond and all that had retired, you know, uh, around that stage. Um, but there was still a lot of the stars from the 95 team were still involved. But how do you gel into that? So like, what's your mindset going into that in trying to make a stamp? Because like these lads probably see you as an unbelievable talent coming through with just your pedigree of Sigerson, 21s, international rules. So like you as a player, what were you trying to do to make an impression with Tommy Carr at that time? Just just train as hard as you could and, and show a really good attitude and um, that you were hungry for it. And, you know, I think that's what Tommy was looking for at that stage. He was looking for young guys that were probably going to shake it up a bit. Um, and, and that was it. Just take absolutely every opportunity you could get. Um, and like th those first couple of training games and friendly matches and all that. And it was, it was unbelievable, you know, just then that, that first league game was that October and I got a few minutes at the end against Tyrone. Uh, 18 years of age. Like it was, it was just such a huge thrill for me at the time, you know? 18 playing like senior and you hadn't played club that's yeah that's like really unlikely ever to happen again yeah it's it's um it's it's unusual um it's unusual all right yeah but um you know huge thrill as i said yeah 
So like coming then into I wouldn't say the latter stages of your career, but like towards the Tommy Lyons era, what was the changes that you noticed within the team then? Because obviously Tommy tried to put his stamp on the game and and tried to implement some new structures and obviously paid off in 2002. But what did you see as the real change in point within the Dublin dynamic to start winning Lancer again? Um, uh, 2002 was ju- just a wonderful season, you know. Um, like, I'd say it's it's hard for if you were to explain it to teenagers now that are on the du- and development squads, what it was like playing for Dublin back then. Like when I won that championship with Dublin in 2002, at that stage, I played two years minor, three years under 21, and I think that was my fourth or fifth. Uh, season with the senior squad so it was nine attempts to win a, a Leinster championship medal you know when you add them all together and that was my first one so that meant so much to the team to make the breakthrough and really to to beat Mead in the Leinster semi-final that year was the big one um, because we were big underdogs uh, we hadn't had a good league that year Tommy had been doing a lot of experimenting and bringing young guys through so we weren't really expected to do much we'd been lucky to get over Wexford in the first round down in uh, Dr. Cullen Park in Carlow. Um, so there wasn't a lot of expected. And then it just it took off. Ray Cosgrove had the season of his life. I think he scored 6.26 or something like that. And Alan was just instantly became a superstar showing his skills. And then, you know, it was we nearly got to an All-Ireland final and narrowly beaten by Armagh. But it, it was, you know, to get to Leinster that year was a huge deal. But like you pointed it out there, beating me and just the lift that that gave you, like that. Like I got brought on in two thousand and five, and yeah. even the battles we had between me between two thousand and five and two thousand and ten after they beat us in Leinster, it still was such an unbelievable game because of the games we grew up on as fans. So like when yeah when you when you were playing me, no matter what. Your game went up like that, and I had to go up like that because just of the sheer challenge you made. Do you miss that? Like, it's such a shame that that competitiveness isn't there anymore because, like, you still talk about it as the turning point in 2002. Yeah. Um, like, they were just fiercely competitive matches, you know. Um, and no matter what you did in the games up to a Leinster Championship game against me, that was kind of how you were judged on it because. Everybody knew that it would be another level in terms of intensity and physicality and that kind of stuff. So, you know, even, even coming through as a young player, you kind of felt you hadn't really done it until you'd done it against Mead. Um, so that, you know, they at the year before that, in 2001, they'd been to a, an All-Ireland final. Um, you know, they'd still a quality team, Trevor Giles, Graham Garrity, Darren Fay, all these lads. So they're still a quality team. But like... These lads were like were great footballers, but they're also really tough footballers. And I've had this conversation with numerous lads over the years about you. And even looking at some of the reports when I was kind of researching this interview, uh, the likes of Pillar, the likes of Tommy Lyons and, and Pat Gilroy, like the comments they all said about you was leader, played with his heart in his sleeve, honest footballer. Like you played the game very physically and 
put your body on the line on numerous occasions. And I actually remember one moment in an Aboran Cup against me, you absolutely flattened the fellow with your shoulder and your hip. Uh, I forget who it was, but he was taken off straight away. Like, <laughs> like I kind of say you were the player that went for the player first and ball second. I don't know if that's a fair call now, but it's just how I perceive it. Do you think playing like that had the impact on your career in regards to your injuries and all that? Um, I don't think, like I, I always loved the, the kind of physicality of the game, particularly around the, the middle third. I spent kind of half of my club's career as a half back, the other half probably as a wing forward. But I want to talk about that later on, but go on. Okay, but, but basically, you know, and again, the game has changed, but back then you would have been there for a lot of the noughties as well, you know, and the game was about all kickouts went long to the midfielders, to you or Darren Homer or Kieran Whelan or Shane Ryan and the likes of me in the half-back line or half-forward line. Your, your breaking ball was your key statistic at the end of the game because if your midfielder was catching a few and your half-backs and your half-forwards were doing well on the breaks, you know, you had a pretty good chance of winning the game. Um, so, like, like, I always liked that physicality. Probably the... The injury that ultimately stopped me was was probably a hip injury, which probably wasn't, you know, because of impacts and tackles and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I probably trained hard and did maybe foolish training that wasn't the right training that probably didn't help my cause. But um, no, in terms of like the, the physicality and the hits and all that, I always enjoyed that. Because Yeah, because you did play in various different lines. Like you were full back, uh, wing back, centre back, wing forwards. Like when you look back on your career, I actually I actually played one uh, one uh, or two championship games as corner forward, believe it or not. Well. So the Sorry, only line I didn't the I only line I didn't that. play was midfield. Yeah. Where was your favourite position then? Because you're a bit of a John O'Shea. Uh, I know it was always half back line, you know. Um, but it was just the kind of uh, the 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 way Dublin was. I think for a lot of years. There was probably um, probably a need for me in the half forward line more so than the half back line. But yeah, my preferred position would have always been in the half back line. Because if you look at a, today's game, uh, like when you when you were kind of playing, a half back was a half back, a half forward was a half forward. Like in today's game, to a certain extent, positions don't mean as much. Like you could have a, a half back playing wing forward, and he's still going to do the same role. So like yeah. When you were playing, do you think just having that being fixated with that role kind of had a detrimental effect to the team's performance that we were just too rigid in in our line now and our approach to the game and we should have been playing with this more fluid kind of stuff? Yeah, it's funny you say that because uh, like a lot of people during uh, lockdown here in quarantine, I've been clearing it, <laughs> clearing it. Clearing out the shed and the attic and everything, and actually wardrobes, everything. And actually, I found uh, up in the attic uh, a, a big bag of old DVDs and all that kind of stuff. So I, obviously, you can't go out. So I threw one of them, uh, threw one of them on. And looking back at the game, um, you know, you just look at how naive we were. Um, you know, in terms of that Dublin team. And look, you were there for a lot of it. It's not as if we didn't have lots of meetings with whiteboards and flip charts and 
and all that like discussing tactics but like when I look back on the game I was just going god we're so naive the way you know we'd be a few points up and instead of just sitting back and counter-attacking the way the dogs would now we were just <laughs> completely playing 15 on 15 and leaving gaps at the back you know when all we had to do to win the game was not concede a goal you know and um, so, look, yeah, looking back and some of the, the decision taking, you know, option taking, that kind of stuff. Like when I look back on it, I was going, like, what were we thinking? But look, I think that's the game develops. And I think even though we think the dubs are perfect now and they're doing everything right, and, and they are, but I think in, in 10 years' time, look, there'll be new coaches with new ideas and, you know, the thing will have moved on again. And that's the beauty of football, I suppose, it evolves. Yeah, and, and it kind of, it's evolving at such an alarming rate in ways. Like, you know, when you look at the current crop of players and just their ability to manoeuvre, change the game, adapt to different scenarios. I'm talking about, obviously, specifically the Dublin team now. But it's kind of like there's a freedom there that they've nearly understand what's, what's developing in front of them and they can adapt and change just by what they're seeing. Where kind of like you my dad was watching a few games there recently just threw them on dvd and rang me and just gave gave out yards to me for just hanging around in the middle and, and not doing anything to win kickouts it's kind of like that's what we were instructed to do uh he needs to get over it Amos. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, i'll never please that matt uh but yeah you kind of when you look at it when you look at the style of play now you can nearly see how the patterns are starting to form. And as you kind of said, new managers, new selectors are obviously going to have their approach on how that should change. Do you think Desi's backroom team, because you'll know a few of them, obviously with Clarkey, do you think they'll bring a new dynamic to the current setup? Yeah, I I think Desi and and all his selectors, they're around a long time. They're very experienced. So they'll know, I think that if you just try and repeat what you've done in the past, what Jim has done with them over the last years, the other teams are going to catch up. So you have to keep evolving, keep bringing in new talent, new tactics, new surprises. Um, and I think they'll do that. I think they'll be very conscious as well, though, that obviously they've inherited a squad that was doing an awful lot of things right. So they don't need huge radical changes. But um, look, I suppose that's, Really what we've missed this spring was, you know, following Desi's new dubs in, in the league. And, you know, that's that's what the league is all about, looking to see can you spot the emerging young talent that's going to make a difference later in the summer. So we obviously missed that um, over the last few weeks. But, um, but you know, I think there's, there's good talent coming through there and, and Desi is the right man for the job and can't wait to get watching them again. But he hasn't reached out to you yet, has he? No, no. I think I'm too old to play at this stage, Amy. Because <laughs> you did try it. Like, uh, I wouldn't say you tried it. Like, obviously, the injury happened in 2009 and you were forced to retire. And yeah. then you were involved in 2010 in the backroom team. It was obviously re- going to be really tough to step into the backroom team just after finishing. Uh, but now, looking at it, after having a bit more time to think, uh, think, start a family, all that good stuff. Is it something that is on the horizon or is it something that you just kind of say, no, I enjoyed my time as a footballer and I'm happy out just going with the underage now? Yeah, like I am, um, 
it was great. I, I kind of retired around this time of the year. It was mid-season in, in April, I think. And uh, Pat Gilroy, it was his first season, and, and he asked me to stay on as the, the mayor for it. And I suppose, I suppose I, I knew a lot of the lads well. It was his first year. He was maybe getting to know some of them. And uh, it was great to stay involved, you know, to learn from him and look at his managerial style. Um, he was obviously a brilliant leader. And then obviously to to work that year with Mickey Whelan and, and watch and learn from him and his years and years of experience was brilliant. But I did find, and look, I was determined to help the lads that I played with any way I could as as a coach and to help them hopefully win in Ireland. But but it was difficult. I, I did find it difficult, you know, um, probably going straight from playing with the lads and then into the backroom team with the management at that stage. Um, so at the at the end of that, I went back and and started again with the Dublin development squads, which was which was great fun and I really enjoyed. You know, yeah, because like it's hard to distance yourself when you've been like a captain with the senior team. You've you've led the line. You've like I think everyone on that team had so much respect for you, and and they were delighted to see you around. But also the challenge then of separating yourself from player to selector that must be like seriously tough uh, like just to kind of go through that in the space of a year as well yeah yeah it was um and you know look I, I think being honest can you be completely objective in that scenario going you know straight from a teammate with fellas to being a selector maybe not it's tough and and even even look whatever about the coaching side, even on a personal level, it, yeah. it was tough to, to be around watching on the sidelines when, you know, you couldn't play yourself. That, that was tough. And, um, and then there was another part of me. Um, I'd been in the squad for about 11 years. Uh, it had dominated my life, gave everything to it. I was happy to give everything to it. But it was just, I think that, you know, even as a selector, it was a huge amount of time involved. And at that stage, I just wanted to, I think do other things in life as well and, and pursue other things. So it, it was good. I, I needed a break from it as well, I think. Well, it seems you pursued a lot there, starting a family, two kids, one on the way. So you were keeping yourself busy anyway. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, and the, the years, the years have flown, you know, and that's when you look back on inter-county football, um, you know, you wonder where did you ever get the time to do it all? Um, but it's amazing look, when you're under pressure it's amazing what you can achieve and being efficient with your time it's amazing what you can do looking back on your career Paddy, like yeah you've had just an, an amazing career and i think when when you, people do take the time to look at everything you achieved uh it's remarkable like you know to think coming up through the the minors the 21s captaining Dublin under 21 senior railway cup international rules 21 senior like huge achievements like huge achievements all-star nomination what was the highlight for you like I'm sure there was a few but like is there one moment that stands out over all of that 11 year span yeah a pretty easy one to be honest with you Eamon um, I think you know in, in 2003 and 2004 um, we had a very difficult season, um, beaten in Leinster by Leash, uh, then beaten by Paddy O'Shea's Westmead in 2004. Uh, Tommy was gone at the end of that season. 
and we were really in the doldrums and, and actually um, during that summer 2004 when we were getting ready for the back door um, you know, I had a serious injury in a challenge match against uh, Limerick out in St. David's one Saturday morning so I uh, broke my left upper arm the humerus in three clean places so you know I had 11 pins and metal plates put into it that are obviously still in there today but I was out for eight months after that and it was a lot of really bad damage like it was three clean breaks of the bone so the bone was was in under a lot of pressure so I you know it was, took a long time to get back eight months later I got back playing and um, so probably 2004 was a low for me personally and then for the team as well and then uh, Hiller obviously took over as manager you were there in 2005 and um, you know he just he started rebuilding it and the conference of the squad was on the floor like um, but he started rebuilding it and you know it was built around kind of work ethic and, and team spirit and pride putting a bit of pride back in the jersey and we got back that year and then got to a Leinster final um, and it looked like it was going against us in that uh, I think Chris Conway from Leash, we had started really well and you know there was a lot of criticism of us over those years in the media that we were bottlers and we had started very well again and Leash had come back into it and Chris Conway I think hit a point with a few minutes to go to put them two up and it looked like you know we'd blown it again and then I was playing half back at that stage and uh, I got up for a point and then Mossy kicked two unbelievable uh, 45 metre free kicks to win it and uh, that was that was back in the day when pitch invasions were allowed and uh, it was just you know it was epic you know full house in Crow Park pitch invasion um, and you know I think particularly as I said for where the team had come from from really two bad years when we were getting really you know uh, huge criticism in the media you know really really heavy stuff um, and then as I said for myself to come back from the injury and, and win that lens fight that, that'll always be one that, that sticks out for me and like for me just coming into the team I still have that vision of Darren Holman with the ball at the end of the game, like running off with joy. And I think Davy Billings highlighted this uh, in St. David's about five days after the game where he was running on one way and we were all running with him. And the leash lads were all on the ground and their hands and knees and the line divided us. But it was like an epic picture and I still have it somewhere in, in, in my horse a collection. But yeah, yeah, I actually, I remember that. And then Sunday night was a great night after the game. Monday night was a great night after the game. <laughs> Tuesday night, Wednesday night. And I, and I actually went training on Thursday, half expecting to go to the goblet for a few points as well. <laughs> it kind of was one of them things where Leinster meant so much, you know. Yeah. And, and you look at it now, it's nearly hard to try and draw a crowd for Leinster games. And just the euphoria of them days, there's going to be nothing like that for a while, I don't feel. Do you, do you get that as well? Yeah, it's, um, it is sad, like, you know, going in there to the Leinster Championship some days and you look around and, and the place is, is half empty and, you know, through no fault of the dubs, over the last few years, the matches haven't been close, you know. 
the Dubs have been doing their job. I think, you know, the other counties in Leinster need to step up and get back to being solid Division 1 teams again, um, which they really haven't been over the last 10 years. Um, but, uh, yeah, there is there there is a bit of sadness that the Leinster Championship isn't isn't what it used to be. But just just thinking back there to to Leash and Westmead, I, I got a phone call from my my brother one day there a couple of months ago. He was in uh, Eason's and uh, his son picked up there's a book out that has all the stats on the Dublin football team. And uh, the, his his son, my nephew, was was flicking through it and uh, he said. He was going through the stats at the back and he was checking for mine now. Dad, you won't believe it. Leash beat Dublin in 2003. <laughs> and then he looked and he went, no way, Dad. Westmead beat them in 2004. <laughs> you know, this must be a joke, you know. So obviously, you know, kids growing up now uh, couldn't imagine what Lancer was like. But like when you look back at Lancer back at that time, awfully one of the 97. Kildare 98, Mead 99, Kildare in 2000, uh, Mead 2001, then the Dubs 2002, then Leash and West Mead. So you had so many counties, different counties winning it. And uh, obviously, though, the last decade, the Dubs have been dominant, you know. If I'm ever in a table quiz about GAA, you're the fourth person I'm going to call then, just wrap yeah. up them dates, no matter. There's two things I just want to kind of finish with. You, yeah. you had an amazing career playing with amazing players. For you, who was the best player you ever played with? Oh, um, oh no, but I need an answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, obviously, I alluded to it there at the start. There was some of the 95 guys, like Kerner was unbelievable and lots of others at that stage as well. But, um, to the later stages of my career, as I was finishing, um, obviously Bernard Brogan was coming through. He was playing well at that stage. Dermo was coming through. He was playing well at that stage. Flinner was coming through as well. They were all in their first kind of two years as I was finishing up, and you could see the, the talents that they were going to be. But um, I'm going to say Alan, Alan Brogan. Um, and on the basis that really, uh, you know, for, for much of the noughties in our time, in my time and as well, you were there for a good few of those years, he was really the go-to guy and he was our top scorer and he was a finisher and he was a corner forward. But he went up, after I went, he went up another level. I don't think there's any reason <laughs> correlation within that, but he went up another level and particularly in 2011, um, and he added that extra string to his bow in that when he moved out to number 11, I think he was a playmaker. He was creating stuff. Um, and then he was also tackling. And, you know, he had got several all-stars before that uh, during the noughties because he was a finisher and top scorer and all that kind of stuff. But I have to say from the stands watching him that year, it was just brilliant to see he kind of, for me, became the complete footballer because he was doing the other things that he wasn't maybe expected to do, you know. Um, and then obviously, look, the way he finished in 2015 with the point against Kerry, you know. Yeah, like sports people, it doesn't usually end well for most sports people. But 
that jammy fecker <laughs> got, a, got a great send off, uh, you know, into the hill, a point like that, unbelievable. So, um, look, and, you know, Bernard, obviously phenomenal as well, but I think, look, given the way he developed the overall nature of his play in those last few years of his career and the way he hung on there as well when it wasn't he wasn't first choice and all that, you know, he'd only go up in your estimation uh, for the way he conducted himself then. Uh, so I'd stick with Alan, yeah. I'm kind of thinking, uh, I'd probably put Cluxton in a different category. He's, he's obviously a goalkeeper, outfield player, but I, I think... Um, no player has ever had as much influence on Dublin or the game itself than Cluxton, but I'm just I'm splitting it between outfield player and, and yeah. otherwise. And I think I agree with you on that. Like for me, Cluxton is just in a, a different category when it comes to what he's done for not only Dublin but for the game and like reinventing a whole position that everyone's trying to look at it differently now and, and what he's doing, but five-time All-Ireland winning captain in a row. Like, you know, it's hard to question who the best player yeah. is. So, yeah. I yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably comparing outfield players. Like, there's... Dude, do, do, leave it at like that. Leave it. Just yeah, keep yeah. Alan. Like, Klucko's going to get numerous awards from here on in. So, we'll, we'll say it was Alan. Yeah. Uh, my last question to you is just about the current crop of players. And if you were still playing on the team, who would you like to play with the most on that team? Like, who do you think you would have bounced off really well and would have complimented your game? Um, uh, you know, I, I think playing in a half-back line with James McCarthy would be phenomenal. You know, um, why I've really liked watching him over the last years. I love watching him. You know, he, he always steps up when Dublin are in trouble. You know, he does something. And... And he's, you know, Dublin. This Dublin team have different stars on different days, and different guys get mad at the match. But I, I think he's really, you know, and there are wonderful talents throughout that team. But I just think, you know, his attitude is—he's the linchpin, you know, a lot of the times, and just steps up when Dublin are really under pressure and does something, either a big hit or a run or a point and that kind of stuff. Just phenomenal player. And and even to do it like to the level he has, like his performances haven't dipped despite playing centre back, wing back, midfield, kind of whatever has been asked of him, he's done and he's done it really well. Like you know, yeah. I think when we look back on this team and in, in the next few years, he'll be one of as outfield players goes, definitely one of the outfield players that stood out for the test of time over a ten year span. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Colly, it's been absolutely amazing catching up with you. Uh, we don't Thank do this enough. Lockdown's been good yeah. on some things, but uh, yeah, look, I've really enjoyed catching up with you. And actually, you know, I really enjoyed researching a bit about your career as well and, and going back over all the successes you've had because it was an unbelievable career and you did a lot for the for the jersey. And I think people will notice that as well when they start looking at this and, and hearing your story, but also when they start looking back at the games, when they start rooting DVDs out of their shed, <laughs> or whatever it may be. So, look, thanks for this. Thanks for your time. I hope you got something else you enjoyed it as well. Yeah, no, it was good fun, Eamon. And uh, always good to catch up with you and chat. So um, I'm glad to see you're keeping well and uh, hopefully catch up with you soon when uh, 
ever this this lockdown ends. <laughs> Hopefully, it's not too much longer. But look, stay yeah. safe. Say hi to the wife and the kids. Thanks, Eamon. All the best. Bye bye.